So let's examine the evidence. Welcome to the Nomad Podcast. I'm your host, Nomad, and with us today is Emmanuel Kingman. And today we are going to be examining the evidence, diving into some interesting topics. You guys are going to get to kind of get an inside look at us just researching things in real time. Um, Emmanuel, how are you? And will you please give us an introduction into kind of the topic we'll be diving into today? Yeah, thank you for having me here. Uh, and that was a great little intro you had there. Uh, we yeah, you and I, we had uh, examined the evidence part one way back when, and then we both got busy with life. So uh, it's awesome uh, divine timing, as you said, that you were able to get that clip together just the day before I messaged you about doing another episode. So amen. this is going to be that a good time. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. So uh, what I want to talk about today is fallen angels, Nephilim and demons and how they are different, but they're one and the same. Uh, just different stages of de-evolution, if you will. And uh, it's going to be backed by biblical evidence. And we're just going to, you know, discuss my understandings that I've come to uh, this firm conclusion that fallen angels are spirits and they did not have sex with humans. They instead possessed humans and then they were born as humans to die as humans called the Nephilim. And then when they died as humans, their spirits then had nowhere to go. So they became demons who wandered the earth. And so they're all one and the same. And what was it that sort of kicked you off on this rabbit trail of, of information? So it always bothered me that people just assumed that in the Bible, when it says that the sons of God went into the daughters of man, that it meant they had sex because it doesn't say that. It just says the sons of God went into the daughters of, or the daughter of man. And everyone just assumed it was sex because they couldn't really uh, think of another way. Or So the, when we talk about the Bible, there's a lot of things, especially in mainstream uh, biblical Christianity. There's a lot of things that just get passed on and people just take it as that, like, you know, you'll have people who talk about like the rapture. The rapture is not biblical. It's not th that word specifically isn't in the Bible. And, you know, there's all these different things that get kind of moved from entertainment to somehow being taught as biblical and they're not. And people just like build on the backs of assumptions. And when I listen to so many times hearing Gary Wayne talk about things, like I was, my mind was blown, you know, listen to all the information. And then one time came along where I heard Ken and me debate him. And I'm like, who's debating Gary Wayne? And I was like, this guy's a fool. And then turns out like, no, he was actually way more accurate with what he was saying. Uh, you know, I love Gary Wayne, but he was basing his, uh, his understandings on a lot of assumptions. And when I found out that that word giant doesn't mean someone of tall stature, but it means someone who's earthborn, then it was like, okay, all right, this is like a whole nother understanding here. There's something else going on. And I, I cut all the assumptions out and I just kept asking God over and over. And I'm like, what does this mean? How can 
the sons of God, going to the daughters of man, make this make sense. And then God has done nothing but make it make sense to me and in a fashion that I can biblically back up everything that I uh, think. I mean, that would be like a fallen state, right? You could definitely see that as like uh, the fallen angels decided to enter into this realm, which is of a lower vibration, you could say. Um, and to me, that totally backs and that makes sense. Right. So, okay, the fallen angels, you were saying talking about the fallen state, like they're at a higher vibrational density right now. And they are what we know as spirits. You know, they're not physical the way that we are. And so when they come down to here, they don't just, you know, poof, all of a sudden they're physical. Like, that's something that only Christ does after his resurrection. That's how he defeated death. So to even assume or suggest that other beings can do that, then Jesus doesn't defeat death and there is no resurrection. You know, that's like the whole point of christ being christ is he can do things that no one else can so you know christ is up here everyone else uh everything else all the other creations are not up that high uh, up that high you know so like that's strike one is they can't do what christ can do and christ is only christ where and we're going to get into this a little bit but we have like these other figures and throughout history that have allegedly, you know, been born on December 25th, born of a virgin, you know, all these different characteristics that Jesus has. And others will say that, no, Christ is just one of these types of characters. He's just a, uh, what's it called? A, uh, like the new age, they'll say uh, a master, uh, ascended master, you know? And again, Christ isn't like those other beings. So what is it that they, there, there has to be some truth there, right? Because Satan can't create out of thin air. Satan can only pervert what is there. So when you think about it, we'll get into this, but these virgin births that are happening support the theory that these women were possessed by spirits who then gave birth to the spirits as humans, which we would know as Nephilim. They would be earthborn giants, which, again, giant meant earthborn. So they would be physical creatures. And the Bible says that uh, you shall now die like man, right? It tells the fallen angels, I'm pretty sure it's the Bible, maybe the book of Enoch, but I'm pretty sure it's the Bible, it says that you'll die like men. And how would they die like men? But they would have to become men in order to do that. They can't just poof, become men. They have to somehow do it in a way that could logically happen that isn't the resurrection, isn't going from a resurrected state, a state of death, of a spiritual being to being physical. It can't happen that way. So how are they going to die like men? They would be born into physical reality. So that would, you know, having, I don't know, it's like 13 other figures or whatever that have been born of a virgin, allegedly, you know, all these different characteristics. You can go look at what's that movie um, that really disses Christianity and and, uh, says that all these figures are all the same. I forget what it's called. Came out in like 2004. Da Vinci Code or something? No, no. It's oh. a uh, conspiracy theory movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm not it's sure. A, uh, 
man, it's on the tip of my tongue. Are you still there? You Are you there? with me, Nomad? Yeah, I'm, I am here. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I lost you for a minute. Happened. Yeah, I lost both of us for a minute. Oh, man. Are you... Am I blurry or lagging to you? No. Okay. Well, oh, well. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll make it work. I can edit this through, too, so it's not a big deal. Okay. <sighs> Where were we? All right. So, so we'll get into, okay, these different characters... Uh, what I'm talking about here, there's some significance behind this because when we look at Hindu religion or you look at the ancient Egyptian religions, they have these blue gods, right? Now, I've taken psychedelics. I'm someone who has seen the spirit world through that lens as well as through meditation. And to me, every time I've ever seen the uh, spiritual realm, it was like a blueprint type of scenario where you're just seeing outlines darkened. And, and we've talked about this before that I see the outlines of them and then they're kind of transparent skin. So if they, if you were to see them in front of you, they would be blue. You know, it's like a, a, a blueprint world is essentially what they're in. So well, uh, that's how the that's how the genies are depicted, right? Like in Aladdin, exactly. the genie's blue, uh, mm-hmm. the jinn, and so right. I've been diving deep into that lately. The jinn and kind of the lore behind uh, uh, Solomon, King Solomon, and how he built the temple supposedly con- with a ring controlling these demons or Solomon jinn. seal. Yeah, and you know that's I think a lot of um, the Freemasons and stuff they look up to Solomon, right? And oh yeah. And they're really big into engineering. And so mm. I don't know. I've just been like putting all of these weird things together on the gin and engineering and engines and kind of all of our modern day seems to actually revolve around these entities that you're bringing up. Mm. That's very interesting. And the gin are demons, right? But when I mean, we yeah, talk... I, some might debate that. I don't know. But I, that's I would say that they are. Yeah, they're typically described that way. Like if you were to ask someone who's studied Muslim doctrine, they would say, oh, you Western Christian people would know them as demons, you know, that they're pretty much the same thing. And again, what I'm saying is the fallen angels became Nephilim. And then when they died, they became demons. Like they are one in the same, just different forms of it. Okay, so let's talk about how God always uh, did what the fallen angels attempted to do, but couldn't. So again, we have all these figures that were trying to be, trying to present themselves as Christ. And they had several characteristics, but then, you know, it wasn't quite Christ. So God is a spirit, goes into the daughter of a man and is born the son of man, right, as Christ. So that is the son of God 
went into the daughter of man and was then born himself. Christ himself was born into flesh, right? In, in order yeah. to die for our sins. And just real quick, uh, this is bringing me to the whole thing of like our bodies are temples, right? That's like mm -hmm. the whole purpose of a temple is to like house something or, you know, so right. like we build temples and we go inside the temple. And so if we are the temple for God, right, it makes sense that spirits can come inside of us as well. So I think that this all tracks and makes sense. We see it on the macro and the micro. Sorry. continue. Right. Thank you. Now that, that was a great point because, uh, that's like these bodies do inhabit things and we can be possessed by thoughts. Like everybody has had a song stuck in their head that they can't get rid of. Like, what is that? That is a spirit possessing you that is not letting go of whatever that lyric is, whatever that tune is. You know, there's uh, an overpowering urge to eat some food that's not good for you where to feed your addiction in one way or another, sex, drugs, alcohol, gambling, uh, you know, all types of things that aren't good for you, we become possessed by these things. And we don't think of them as demons or possession. We just think of them as thoughts. But again, we are vessels, like you were saying, we are temples that house different things. Yeah, you are not your thoughts, right? I mean, because, right. again, you have thoughts that you don't want to. How many people have mad anxiety that they don't want, right? Like, mm -hmm. And Depression. so you have, you, have to re you have to learn how to sort of transmute your thoughts and how to, you know, reflect on them and allow them to pass and whatnot so that you're not focusing on them. That's really the best you can do or, or train yourself to focus on other things. We talk about this all the time in this podcast, but like brainwashing yourself instead of letting other people brainwash you. You know, like, mm -hmm. what are you choosing to let in? Other, you're, you're a reflection. Like, we are reflections of each other and of what we what we see. So if you're seeing a bunch of negativity, you're going to reflect it. We've been talking mm -hmm. a lot about intent, right? And intent seems to run everything. There's been experiments done where people just tape, uh, you know, things on water. And just that word alone, the intent behind it is essentially causing it to be more beautiful, more symmetrical, more focused. Um, and so I think, yeah, just applying that in our daily lives is important, but it also relates to these weird ancient stories that we have throughout every religion and culture. Right, right. So when we have Christ being born as man, he did something that uh, hadn't been done, right? Even though, okay, what I'm saying is the fallen angels have attempted this and they say Mithras was born of a virgin. They say uh, Buddha was born of a virgin, but there's like these little subtleties that it's not really a virgin. You know, the, the one was said to have been come out of a rock that that somehow uh, Mithra's mother was impregnated by a rock or something. And uh, Buddha's mother was said to have had an elephant go into her side that then produced him. Like there's these weird things, right? That like a rock and like okay when we look at a rock what is rock rock isn't uh something that's created by god it's something that ends up forming it's fossilized something that has become fossilized and there and also another way of looking at it is you can cast something into stone right so that they were cast down from heaven right so were they cast down into a stone you know and then somehow 
was able Which to we're doing peers. now we're we're like essentially uh summoning entities with crystals in our yeah. computers and we're using yeah. mirrors to reflect everything yeah yeah it, and it, so it all goes together then we look at the color blue but it didn't happen until about 200 years ago that the color blue was something that humans had except for the ancient egyptian culture and uh when we describe the ancient hindu gods they're the only things that were blue uh, and i think even the hindu gods weren't colored blue until about 200 years ago but the ancient egyptians are the only ones that had the color blue like why why is that there's something there about the color blue and our universe like there was some kind of physical change that then gave us the color blue so if you look at it this way like say you have the color red and you don't have a word to describe it but you have a pink and an orange uh, then you would just call that different shades of pink and orange, right? So when we look at like Plato and uh, Socrates, they describe things like the uh, water is wine colored. So, I mean, yeah, it kind of is wine colored if you don't have the color blue. But if you know the color blue, then no, it's its, its own other color. It's not a purplish color. They would say like the grass was like honey and it's like if you well if you don't have a word for the color green like maybe you can see some uh, grass is like golden you know at different points so there's like just weird describing words that we wouldn't see it in those ways at all so to me something changed about our universe and our definitions uh expanded our understandings of things we started to dive deeper into uh these details and within those details then you create more and more so there's something with the color blue that and what i'm talking about here what we were saying earlier about the jinn the genies the the hindu gods the egyptian gods they're blue because they are not of this world they were something so drastically different that the a whole other color was created for them specifically like that's that's pretty big you know and what evidence do you have for the color blue not existing or like where did you hear about that? oh you never looked that up no i don't know much oh about yeah that. dude it's strange yeah you can uh read into it they didn't discover the color blue or it wasn't uh used regularly until the 1800s i got on that a, a while back so first everything was white and black and then it was red and then it was green and then yellow and then blue only came along about 200 years ago but what do you mean the color only came around like we only started labeling things as blue or are you saying that the color blue did not exist in the spectrum of light uh i would say that it probably existed but we didn't have a word for it so it just became like purplish and reddish they like purple meets red that's where blue is right so they would probably just call it different shades of purple and red and it wouldn't have been its own thing even though it exists now like if you break down like the color green like there's all types of color greens there's lime green there's neon green there so like when you individualize things then you have like all these different spectrums of colors but when when we're talking about color itself existing uh, all the ancient texts 
they have they describe black and white are the two most descriptive words used they're the oldest ones used and then at some point uh, along came the color red and then along came either green or yellow or yellow or green whichever order depended on the different cultures but we're talking greeks egyptians uh phoenicians uh, i forget all of them but this is like how every single uh every single civilization came about using describing words that were these colors that we would know as these colors and then blue was the latest color that was in the 1800s so you're saying we didn't start using like the terminology labeling the color blue until the 1800s but we still have sort of history they didn't have anything wearing blue so they didn't have any clothing that was blue they didn't have any uh like rock paintings that were blue like blue if you think about it things in nature they don't really create blue like even blueberries that'll create something that's purple like there's not really well that's why i'm saying that they would call it wine colored okay so but like I guess my question is, you're saying that the color didn't come around to the 1800s, but we have these depictions of Osiris, who was like this bluish color. Mm-hmm. So what's the so what's the, the connection that you're saying there? So they specifically saw something differently in these beings than what was in their universe. So like, what was it that they had to then create? It's this new color that nobody else had the, the Greeks, the Romans, nobody else had this color at that time. It was only the ancient Egyptians had this color. Oh, okay. That's what I missed. I see what you're saying. Yeah. They only had this color to, uh, describe these beings as being blue. Like that. Yeah. Like to it, make do you them have different. the, here, let me share my screen and pull this up. Cause we're talking about it. We should do a visual here. But it is interesting looking at these depictions of Osiris. Let's see here. Oh, whoops. Please hold. Yeah, and we have Krishna's often talked about as of being uh, being blue. He's but now Krishna's, that that's not Egypt though, right? No, that's not Egypt. That's So that's the thing. It's only Egypt and Hindu uh, gods were colored as blue. Very strange. Okay, so Egypt and Hindu. Or right, Egyptian but... And... Right, so I don't know how far the Hindu uh, color blue goes back, though. I'm just aware of the Egyptian one going back uh, to a time period that no one else was using that color. Got it, okay. So you look at Osiris, and then you have him next to Isis. Isis is not blue, right? And that uh, where your mouse is to the left, yeah. Yeah, or to to the right on my screen. Yeah, right there, with the white hat and the white pants. Yeah, let's see if we can find like a like a stone one. Yeah. If you look up uh, autodidactic, okay, look at that photo right there. Egyptian blue. Yep. Other than the sky, blue is a color not easily found in nature. Blue is the rarest eye color. Some animals and birds may have blue 
accents on their fur or plumage, but few are completely blue. The same is true of insects and flowers. When we do see something blue in nature, we are fascinated by it. Blue is beautiful. Okay. Let's see if we can make this image bigger. Yeah, ancient Egyptians seem to prize the color blue more than any other culture. Yeah, I mean, just look at that. You got Osiris is blue. And then you have a dog-headed being, and then you have a bird-headed being, right? So clearly... Yeah, I mean, this, whole, this whole room feels blue. You're right, it does. It's like they're looking into another world. And then, but like they're specifically not that. I think that's the most. Um, that's a trait of the Nephilim about this. What is that's a, the red skin or the green skin? Being a hybrid, being now, human. Wasn't, isn't isn't there some relation to Adam and red? I'm not sure. Maybe I haven't heard okay. That. I think I've heard something about that of like because of like the clay of the earth or something. Oh, okay, um, that makes sense. But yeah, like you could almost think of it as like you have here, you have the atom born beings, uh, which have actually like more um, animal heads, ironically. Right. And then that's and what then I meant. Has ones. the uh, the the nephilim uh, type of uh, deal going on with the the hybrids being hybrids. That's a nephilim trait. So are you do you think these are hybrids or do you think they're just um symbolic? I think they're I think that they uh when we talk about the fallen angels manipulating the DNA of everything humans birds bees you know all everything that that is a biological mannequin that was created for the fallen angels to then go inhabit those bodies and then they were worshiped as gods because they were so different than what the humans were. Because you can look at the, the woman right there, right? Isis. She has much more fair skin than everything else there, right? Uh -huh. So, and she's depicted as a, a woman. She's not depicted as having any kind of animal uh, body parts. Look at the throne that uh, this is Osiris. Yeah, on the far, on my far left. Right. And it's interesting because to me, this reminds me of like what we're still doing today with what is it, the Stone of Destiny or something that the, what is it, the, the royal family uses or whatever. Mm, they're right. like uh, when they're sworn in or whatever, they have to like be on this this stone. Right. Um, it's fascinating. You still see this, so they're clearly still keeping the tradition alive. Right. Yeah, there's. And that whole thing, like you said, it is blue. Like the the whole background is blue, and they're wearing blue, uh, but you don't see that in any other culture. And again, it's hard to make the color blue in order to do this. So, like, there was something important, important enough that they had to then uh, depict it in a way that was completely foreign. Like they didn't just leave the rock, like just whatever it was. They changed the whole background. And then drew on that and then still have blue within that. And you can see, as I was saying earlier, the blueprint world, you can see the outlines of Osiris's jaw. You can see his ear. You can see his face. I mean, this is not like uh, this is like the same concept that I was talking about. And that imagine like Aladdin uh, genie, you know, what's he, he has a big black beard just like Osiris has right there. Right. Uh, I mean, 
these things are uh, pretty similar. You got the Stone of Destiny up there. Yeah, so this is what they're still doing today. So pretty similar mm -hmm. concept. It's like clearly like uh, like uh, chambers like below the throne. Right, so and Osiris is uh, Osiris was their king, right? And he's the one that's depicted in blue here. You have right. the other Nephilim behind him. And it's like he's maybe Sam Yaza, you know, the, the leader of the fallen. And then you have the daughter of man right there, Isis, who then gives birth uh, to the the physical Nephilim. You know, like they're like these women, they didn't give birth to giants that were like, there's no way a, a five foot two woman is going to give birth to some something that's uh, 15 feet tall. You know, that's just not going to happen. So, like, we have to start thinking in terms of what our biological nature would allow and uh, a possession, a, a, a woman becoming pregnant with a spirit to then physically born or in some way this uh, uh, this creature is then born, it's going to be that same spirit. And this is something that I talked about with uh, demonologist Nathaniel Gillis on my show, episode 102, where he talks about demons, they would possess women. And this is something that I believe he says in the Apocrypha book of John, that women would be impregnated. I just with watched a... I just watched a video on that like this morning. So that's very oh. interesting. You mentioned that again, a nice synchro. Sorry, I just had to call that out. Yeah, no, that's it. But it's exactly, it goes with this, like that the demons themselves were hiding in the wombs and it wasn't that their children were then going to be born from the woman. It was them, they themselves were going to be born from the woman. So it's like they, and people have suggested and he does in my show which i think he's falsely suggesting it's again it's an assumption that they were becoming physical in order to then be born but that doesn't make sense because if they were already physical why would they then need to be born but they're not physical so they would possess the man who was then impregnating the woman and then through uh however it happens you know we can see ghosts at sometimes right we can obviously there's these depictions that I'm talking about of blue beings. So they would show themselves at the point of conception. And if the woman was to see that spirit, then she would be impregnated by that spirit. And it wouldn't be an impregnation by her husband. She would be impregnated by that spirit with that spirit. So uh, that just goes right alongside with what I was saying is that these? this is how the fallen angels were then born as Nephilim, and it's what God did. God did this. He went into a daughter of man to become flesh. This is the same type of deal. So the fallen angels were trying to do what they knew God was going to do, and then God told them that they would die like men by doing what they were doing. And so they died like men, and then they had no way back home. They didn't have a way back to becoming 
angels again, they were then stuck on the earth. They were earth born and they were then earth bound because they were false spirits. They were being born out of deception, out of rape, out of lust, you know, out of all these bad thoughts and actions. This is what these creatures are being born out of. So then they had no possible way of going back to God, which is why then God had to come down as man, die for all their sins, all of humanity's sins and the fallen angel sins, in order to then create a pathway back to heaven so that everything and everyone could then be resurrected in Christ and go back to heaven and leave the fallen state. So you're saying, because in... Uh... You said they should die like man, and at that time there wasn't a way to get you know um, to heaven because Correct. the resurrection hadn't happened yet. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, essentially, ha- we both had the same fate, probably in Sheol, uh, whether it was in paradise or or what, because Sheol is often depicted as sort of both, I guess, paradise and. But we we refer Sheol as like the negative side, I think. But I think it's also like kind of both. Um, well. And that Tartarus was reserved for them in shale. I, I think that's the way to depict it. Yeah, great. Thank you for pointing that out. So like Tartarus and Paradise make up shale, essentially. That yeah. Kind of, it, maybe. I think it depends on how you um, interpret scripture and all of that. Yeah. It seems to be kind of a nuanced topic from what I've heard. Well, and I know that you've done a show on Sheol. I haven't studied as much as you have on it, so I'm not, uh, I would be speaking out of turn if I was to give a full opinion on it. But there, I know that within Sheol was Tartarus, which was reserved for only the fallen angels, which in the Book of Enoch, he sees it as the fifth heaven is where the fallen angels are chained up. And like, it's very clear on how he's seeing it, which again, Tartarus within Sheol, if it's the fifth heaven, you know, like there's seven layers up. So it's almost to the top is this layer of, uh, of Tartarus, which then, you know, we've talked about Tartaria before. And that's why I think Tartaria is the physical representation. It means of Tartar Tartarus would be, uh, you know, what of tartar that's the tartar like when they were released from the pit they came back and they had tartaria and that is where the fallen angels then uh came to on earth when they were released from the pit yeah so yeah that makes sense sorry i was just pulling up a picture here uh, real quick i'll share it just so people have an idea of what we're talking about okay So yeah, paradise, and then uh, I guess Hades is also kind of that other side, right? Often referred to as right, and and it's interesting, you know. There's I've seen like this one in the left here uh, with the water, and it's like a dome. Uh, that's the depiction that I've seen a lot of. And Sheol is this little dark place underneath. But again, I haven't looked into it, so I couldn't say with any kind of certainty that that's what Sheol is. Yeah, for sure. But I just want to give people an idea. And none of us, I mean, we don't really know, at least I will say I don't know anything for certain. I'm just here doing my best to seek the truth and help others hopefully on the journey. 
Um, so right. yeah, do your own research and ask God for discernment would be my suggestions. Okay, so now yeah. I want to get to a point. So that's point. Tartarus and that's yeah. Paradise. And then, yeah, so where are we at now? Okay, so now I want to get to a point where I know that people are going to say, wait, wait, wait. In the Bible, it talks about Lot, Genesis 19. There were physical angels that ate and drank with the people. They had sex, or, or the, uh, the people of Sodom wanted to have sex with them. They had to be physical. And uh, so now I'm going to bring up uh, this Genesis 19. I have uh, some depictions up here. So can you say it? Genesis 19, 1 to 3, meaning. Yep. Okay, so the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. The Hebrew word malak is translated as the word angels in this verse. The word means a messenger, one sent on business or diplomacy by another, which is stated in Judges 6, 11 to 12, 13, 3 through 6, and 15 and 16. These messengers were often responsible for aiding, protecting, and fighting for those who trusted in the Lord, which is Genesis 24, 7, Exodus 23, 20, 33, 2, and 1 Kings 19, 5, as well as Psalm 34, 7 and 8. And 91.11. They also were instruments of God's judgment, executing punishment of the rebellious and the guilty. 2 Samuel 24.16 and 17, Psalm 35.5 and 6, as well as 78.49 and Isaiah 37.36. So in the book, in the Bible, there's many different books where it talks about angels being messengers that are sent on business or diplomacy and they were responsible for aiding protecting and fighting for those who trusted in the lord they also were instruments of god's judgment right executing punishment of the rebellious and guilty what that is what is happening here in sodom right there's punishment being dished out to the rebellious and the guilty so the two angels arrived at Sodom after leaving Abraham and the Lord Mamre, Genesis 18.22. One cannot determine if this trip happened the same day after their noontime meal with Abraham or after the normal two to three day journey from Hebron to Sodom. If the journey of roughly 40 miles took only several hours from mid-afternoon until the evening of the same day, it reinforces the supernatural nature of the two angels. The angels were there to determine firsthand the true character of the citizens of Sodom. So if it only took them a few hours, but it's also just said that we can't determine if it happened the same day. So if it was a few hours or if it just did take a few days. And then in the final sentence there, the angels were there to determine firsthand the true character of the citizens of Sodom, which again, they were instruments of God's judgment, right? So let's get into this a little bit. Lot was sitting in the gate of Saddam or Sodom. This suggests that Lot had become an integrated citizen of Sodom, possibly a leader. The city gate was a central gathering spot for social life in the city, which is in Psalm 69, 13, as well as Hebrews 12. It well, served as wait, a, wait, wait, sorry, hold up real quick. That's interesting okay. because normally we think of a gate as like at the at the entrance. end of a city or right. yeah, entrance, right? So 
they're saying that this was we often see in modern cities these things that look like stargates almost and they're mm, usually in, in the like center. the center of cities so sorry i just oh, want to point gate. that out because that's okay that's very interesting how that term is i mean we yeah we think of it at the outside but in this case is in the inside so thank you for right. pointing we think that of out. this as like a fence you know like but we think of, of it as like swing or yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, the city gate was a central gathering spot for social life in the city. It served as a trading place for merchants with stalls and booths for craftsmen, which is in Genesis 23, 10, 18, and 2 Kings 7, 1. It also served as the seat of government where legal transactions were conducted and judgments rendered. Again, they're here for what? Judgment, right? And God's angels do what? Physical angels do what? They judge. So what would God do? But he would send physical humans to the seat of government where legal transactions were conducted and judgments rendered. And that's in Genesis 34, 20 through 24, Deuteronomy 22, 15, Joshua 24, 2 Samuel 15, 2, and Ruth 4. Okay. Lot bowed down with his face to the ground. It could be that Lot somehow knew or expected they were messengers from God. And I'll even pose that maybe they dressed differently or looked differently, but they were just humans. Like if you were to see a rabbi or a priest, uh, you would see that they're dressed differently than just your normal everyday citizen, right? Because that's what people of God do. They dress differently. So again humans could just have dressed differently and lot saw them and he just knew who they were lot asked that the angels turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet then you may rise early and go on your way so he wanted to do this because these are religious as we would know religious leaders he wanted to wash their feet have them spend the night like he, he knew and how he knew is probably the way that they looked and dressed Lot is eager to protect these guests. It is likely because he understood how wicked Sodom was. 2 Peter 2, 7 through 8 tells us his soul was vexed as he saw the unrighteous in Sodom. It also tells us Lot was delivered because he was righteous. And then here it goes on to say, and delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. All right, and I also want to say that how we can tell Lot was really integrated into Sodom and Gomorrah was how his uh, children, after they had left, they got him drunk and had sex with him because that was the culture that they were accustomed to. And it wasn't that they were on the outskirts of the city and he kept them away from these uh, social environments, but he was integrated into it. And maybe even a government official himself who knew he was doing wrong and his own children, then his two daughters got him drunk and raped him in order to get pregnant by him because that was the culture that was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah, which is why it was destroyed by God to begin with. All right, so continuing on, we are not told why Lot continued to stay in such a wicked place. The angels declined Lot's invitation saying no, but we shall spend the night in the square. The messengers were not afraid and they must test the inhabitants 
to learn if their evil reputation is deserved. Genesis 18.21. The square was a large open space, like a plaza, near the main city gateway where public gatherings were held. And that's in Deuteronomy 13.16 and 17, 2 Chronicles 32.6, Judges 19.15, and 20, Psalm 55.11 and 12, as well as 144.14, Proverbs 5.16, and Zechariah 8.45. So you see like all this text that we're reading, and this is on the BibleSays.com, all this commentary that we're reading is severely backed up by other parts of the Bible. So this isn't uh, just some guy who doesn't know too much about this saying things. This is a very well-educated man or woman or a group of people who put these thoughts together for everybody uh, so we can read these. All right, continuing on. But Lot urged them strongly. Lot insisted equally as strong to their reluctant visitors. Lot likely knew that the visitors would not be safe spending the night in the street or public square, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. So if they are angels, uh, spirits, then why wouldn't they be safe, right? But they're not spirits. They're not angels. They are messengers. They are human messengers. So Lot prepared a feast for them. The word feast is the Hebrew word mishta. Usually during a Jewish mishta, there would be food and wine. It was considered a special occasion and a time of blessing. Proverbs 15, 15 and Isaiah 25, 6. Lot makes them baked unleavened bread, flat pieces of unleavened without yeast bread. And Lot might have learned his hospitality skills from his uncle Abraham. So then they have the biblical text here, uh, which we're not going to read at this moment. So now I have one more. So I'm going to stop that share and I'm going to share the other tab that I have. So here's another tab. So you see this one? Let's see. Yep. That one up there. Okay. All right. So now here is a breakdown of someone on hermeneutics.stackexchange.com. Someone answering a question uh, that was asked about, like, how can I know? So my question is specific to Genesis 19. Were these, quote-unquote, angels, spiritually empowered, quote-unquote, men sent by God or actual heavenly spiritual beings sent to earth? Is there a way to determine this confidently from the text? So this is a brilliant answer that I'm about to read. So as already mentioned, the Hebrew word for angel is malak. And it means angel slash messenger slash sent one. How the word is used depends on the context. Someone asks where the word is used in reference to humans. A good example is at Malachi 3.1. Behold, I am going to send my Malak angel messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the Malak angel messenger of the covenant in whom you delight behold he is coming says the lord of hosts so we already talked about what a temple was right so and the lord lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and malachi uh, also is derived from the word malak so we have a messenger he has a book in the bible named after him malachi his name comes from the word malak which is messenger Right, so we have a definitive understanding that Malak can 
be talking about humans, and it's not always talking about spirits, heavenly uh, bodies. Yeah, right? the, I have, I have to ahead. imagine that at some point there was an angel that was a messenger, and somehow that got turned into or interpreted as angels are messengers, and that just mm -hmm. kind of stuck. Something like that, because it does seem like most of the time it's just a... It seems like it could be at least just a person um, right. that's inspired by God or filled with the Holy Spirit, however you want to look at it. Well, I'm so glad that you brought that up because that's what this text is about to get into now. All right. So the person or messenger that will clear the way of the Lord is John the Baptist. Right. So remember, the angel that will clear the way of the Lord that was mentioned in Malachi 3.1 where it said, Behold, I am going to send my angel or messenger, and he will clear the way before me. So who that is is John the Baptist, right? Again, it's using it as a human. This is confirmed at Mark 1, 1-4. So who is the quote-unquote messenger of the covenant in whom we will delight that is coming to his temple? Uh he says, I'll get to that a little later. As a side note, the prophet Malachi, who is human, while well, his name is from the word Malach. Now, getting to your example of Genesis 19.1, the best way to explain it is to start at Genesis 18.1 through the end of the chapter, which you can read on your own. I will highlight the main points. At Genesis 18.1, now the Lord appeared to him, Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. Verse 2, Abraham looks up and three men were standing opposite him and he bowed himself. Verse 3, and said, my Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Verse 4, please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves. And Abraham offered them bread, etc. They asked, where is your wife, Sarah? Notice verse 10, where one person is speaking and he says, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah laughed to herself at verse 13. And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Verse 14, Is there anything too difficult for the Lord? Okay, now back to the commentary. Let me be blunt here and say the Lord that physically appeared to Abraham was the angel of the Lord, who was the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. So the person that was just being talked about in all those verses is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord. He first appears as the angel of the Lord at Genesis 16:7. He appears to Hagar and tells her uh, and tells here he will multiply her seed, tells her he will multiply her seed, and she shall bear a son. Genesis 16:7 through 12. At verse 13, Hagar says, Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. Thou art a God who sees, for she said, Have I even remained alive here after seeing him? We're talking about her child. Verse 15, So Hagar bore a son, and Abraham called him Ishmael, which actually uh, then is the father of, uh, of Islam, is Ishmael. Mm -hmm. So now comes one of the interesting parts as far as I'm concerned. Genesis 17, 1-3. Now when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, 
I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Verse 2, and I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Verse 3, and Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, etc. This was a physical, visible appearance of God to Abram, and is verified at Genesis 17:22. And when he, God, finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Two things to notice here. One is the fact that I believe that the angel of the Lord who multiplied Hagar's descendants is the same being here at Genesis 17, 1 to 3, that will multiply Abraham's descendants. The second thing to notice is that Genesis 18, the Lord again physically appears to Abraham and God explains that Sarah will have a child who will be named Isaac, who is the father of Jacob, who becomes Israel, you know, the Israelites and Judaism uh, and Christianity is all born from Isaac's line. Getting back to your example at Genesis 1.1, notice what Genesis 18.33 says. And as soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed and Abraham returned to his place. Genesis 19.1 says, Now the two angels came to Sodom on the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. These two angels are the same two men that appeared with the with the Lord at Genesis 18. So from Malachi 3.1, who do you think is the messenger of the covenant? I know for a fact it's surely not an actual angel. So he's saying the two that appeared with the Lord is when three people back in 18.1, there was... Uh, now the Lord appeared to him, Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent in the heat of the day. Verse 2, Abraham looks up and three men were standing opposite him and he bowed himself. So what this author is suggesting is that one of them is the, the angel of the Lord, which is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, and two men. And that's the three. And then when the angel of the Lord leaves Abraham, the other two, it's not said that they left, that they just went up. But no, those two then continue on, leave Abraham and go to see Lot. So it's clearly suggesting that these two people were not just uh, angels, spirits, but they were messengers who were with Christ, who were led to Abraham and then led to Lot. Can you actually bring... Uh... I guess I brought it back up. Uh, can you go back to that part where uh, it was mentioning the three? Okay, Genesis eighteen one, right here. Yeah, can you just highlight that? Or yeah, do okay. you got it? Now the Lord, yeah, now the Lord appeared to him Abraham by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. Abraham looks up and three men were standing opposite him and he bowed himself. So that says three men. So how are you interpreting? You're interpreting one of those as an angel or this, this person is? Yeah. One so of this them person, as Jesus, the pre-incarnate yes, Jesus. Right. So then uh, it gets into after you read that. So verse three and said, my Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by verse four. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves. And Abraham offered them bread, etc. They asked, where is your wife, Sarah? Notice verse 10, where one person is speaking. He says, I will surely return to you. So one of these three is return is speaking.
speaking and says, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And that's when Sarah laughs uh, to herself. And at verse 13, and the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? And verse 14, he's saying, is there anything too difficult for the Lord? So this is uh, that person who's speaking is one of those three who is uh, appearing to Abraham. And it is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. It's the angel of the Lord. But if it's a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, but it's Jesus Christ incarnate, that's kind of counter. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't really work. Like, if well, it's, he's if always it's Jesus Christ in the flesh. So I don't think he is necessarily in the flesh, but this goes back to how I was saying in the beginning that only Christ can then become physical. The angel of the Lord appears uh, several times throughout Genesis. Uh, that term, it's specifically talking about the same. It's not saying uh, it's the only times in the Bible uh, when it talks about a specific angel or messenger that is so specific. It's saying the angel of the Lord. Uh, and, and a lot what, of people. What verse was that? Um, what was it? So which one? So we have verse where it, like where it 10. mentions angel of the Lord. Uh, so I don't. This isn't even the Bible right here. So I. This is just what. Was yeah. So here. that would this be my. I would like Genesis. to. I would like to examine the evidence more on that, if not now, sometime. But like, I want to see where it actually says "Angel of the Lord" because that's what it seemed like he was referencing it. But I don't know where it actually says that. And then it just said three men, so I was like, you know, right. it's a bit confusing. But I, I get the point of what he's saying here, and I think it oftentimes um, messenger is maybe misinterpreted as like what we think of as a spiritual being. I mean, that's why I use the young literal translation for anyone interested that they translate that to messenger. So, you know, exactly what they're, what they're meaning uh, when they say that. So that would be just, you know, I always recommend uh, comparing versions, but for me, the young literal translation has been kind of my go-to, but yeah, I think this is a great point And I think we need to think critically about these things. Yeah, so I'm trying to pull up Genesis 18 here now. So Genesis 18, 1, I'm on the Bible. So here, let me uh, stop sharing that, and I'll share uh, the Bible now so we can actually get into it. 18, 1. So do you got it? Okay. The Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. So at the beginning right here, it's saying the Lord appeared again to Abraham. Uh, so we would have to then go back to where did the Lord appear to Abraham uh, the first time? You know, if it's saying again, was he referenced as the angel of the Lord that time? So he looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. My Lord, he said, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. It is brought to wash your feet. And since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. All right, they said, do as you have said. So Abraham ran back to the tent and said to Sarah, Harry, get three large measures of your best flour, knead it into dough and bake some bread. Then Abraham ran out to the herd and chose a tender calf and gave it to a servant who quickly prepared it. Uh, let's see. 
When the food was ready, Abraham took some yogurt and milk and the roasted meat, and he served it to the men. As they ate, Abraham waited on them in the shade of the trees. Where is Sarah, your wife? The visitors asked. She's inside the tent, Abraham replied. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself and said, how could a worn out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. But the Lord said, no, you did laugh. Then the men got up from their meal and looked out toward Sodom. As they left, Abraham went with them to send them on their way. Should I hide my plan from Abraham, the Lord asked? For Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. So the Lord told Abraham, I have heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. I am going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I have heard. If not, I want to know. The other men turned and headed toward Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abraham. So the other men turned, but the Lord remained with Abraham. Abraham approached him and said, will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in the city. Will you sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Why, you would be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same. Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? So he's clearly speaking with the, the Lord, right? Because the two men had already left. And the Lord replied, if I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. Then Abraham spoke again, since I have begun, let me speak further to my Lord, even though I am but dust and ashes. Suppose there are only 45 righteous people rather than 50. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And the Lord said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 righteous people there. Then Abraham pressed his request further. Suppose there are only 40. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it for the sake of 40. Please don't be angry, my Lord, Abraham pleaded. Let me speak. Suppose only 30 righteous people are found. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it if I find 30. Then Abraham said, since I have dared to speak to the Lord, let me continue. Suppose there are only 20. And the Lord replied, then I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Finally, Abraham said, Lord, please don't be angry with me if I speak one more time. Suppose only 10 are found there. And the Lord replied, Then I will not destroy it for the sake of the ten. When the Lord had finished his conversation with Abraham, he went on his way, and Abraham returned to his tent. To govern the day... No, that's Genesis 1. Okay, so so it just says he, the Lord, finished, and he went on his way. That's what this one says. So I looked up the blue letter, kind of the etymology of that word in what was it what was the genesis 18 and which word share my uh lord the lord okay 
And yeah, it seems like it's referencing Yahweh um, or mm. Jehovah. So their specific God. But when I right, which up, is the pre-incarnate um, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, I think that isn't actually an interesting debate, and that is something I want to dive into more. I mean, it probably is, but there is an interesting sort of dissonance, right, between like that God and Jesus, and so. I think that's an interesting topic, but maybe for another day, let's try to <laughs> stick on this one. So like just in putting ourselves in the writer's shoes, they're talking about Yahweh. They're talking about Jehovah from my understanding based off of this research and breaking down the specific Lord word that is used in this passage. Um, right. So this way we have some context. I did look up angel of the Lord and I was coming up with Luke and um, it seems like that i don't know it seems like there's different terminologies here because like in luke 1 11 it says and there appeared unto him an angel of the lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense um, but then i think i saw down here it says for he shall be great in the sight of the lord uh, so it's like i have it here in know. judges and genesis psalms zechariah matthew luke numbers psalms again the there's angel a lot of the lord to samuel yeah Okay, cool. Samuel's one to... Chronicles, Acts of the Apostles, Zechariah, Numbers again, and there's another page. It's a whole bunch. So yeah, I would love to. So you're thinking that when it's saying Angel of the Lord, that means the pre-incarnate Jesus? Uh, yeah, yeah, that it's that it is Yahweh in His spirit form. That is a uh, is what Jesus Christ is, Yahweh, who is then in physical form. Okay. So I just want to make sure I understand the perspective of the writer and everything. Um, so yeah, I think that's interesting. So we've talked about this before that uh, that the when we get into the body, the as above, so below, the you know that type of thing, that the macro and the micro, that there is. Uh, in the Bible, it talks about there being 72 nations. It talks about there being uh, 72 powers and principalities that are over the different uh, these different nations. And also the number of demons that Solomon used to build a temple. Right, exactly, 72. So there's also, in our bodies, we have uh, 78 organs. But again, it's not all organ Like, they call your skeletal structure structure and organ they call your skin an organ so like there's different ones where you could whittle it down to 72 so when we talk about yahweh yahweh is the mind in the organ that we would call the mind not the brain not the heart but the mind the soul if you will that is what yahweh so yahweh or l is also like there's all these Elohim that are the other fault that are the other angels that are powers and principalities of all these different nations. Again, this is we are the body of Christ. We are the cells, us physically, we are the cells, and above us is the organs. We all all of us cells make up an organ or a nation, which is then a power and principality is over us. So and there's 72 of them. So and Yahweh the Elohim was plural, 
lords, right, the essentially, plur- or lowercase gods, yeah. Right, so that would be that they are the sum total of God, is all of them together create the full spectrum of God, all of the 72 angels, the Elohim, create El. Yahweh himself is the representation, even though he would maybe appear as, if you were to see these different uh, beings, these spirits, that maybe he would appear as one of them. He was above them because he was the uh, the pure part. He was the mind, the soul. The, it's more than the heart. It's more than the brain. It's like the combination of the two, of loving the Lord. And that's what Yahweh's responsibility was. And then he then had to then physically be born. So him being the angel of the Lord, it was like he was the leader of all of these Elohim. Yahweh was the specific leader because he knew the Lord's heart. Like the Lord is, uh, we can't see the Lord because we exist within him. Like the the creator that we make up the body of, it's so massive and large that we can't see him. But we all, if we all do our specific jobs, we keep him running perfectly, which then keeps us running perfectly. So there is one that is in charge. So if you imagine like you're on your body, that you have all these different organs that have their own responsibilities. And if they're all functioning perfectly, then you're going to be functioning perfectly. And now one of them is going to be uh, you may call it your third eye or your soul, like you, the the point that is closest makes you closest with God. So not necessarily, you know, like opening your third eye to see that way, just like the point in your brain that has you hooked to God, linked to God directly, the soul, the mind, you know, that is one, the soul and the mind are the same thing. And that is Yahweh within you. And then when Yahweh had to then take physical form. He was then Jesus Christ. He went into woman the way that the rest of the Elohim were doing. He went into woman and was born a man, and he is God, like above the... So again, we're smaller, we're lesser than on this dimensional scale than what the Elohim were, and Yahweh's at the top of this, and Yahweh is L that is just smaller. L is the sum total of everything. And Yahweh directly represents what the unseen L actually is. And then, so L becomes Yahweh, becomes Jesus Christ. Do you think that it's possible that we have these stories and some of the authors um were maybe being deceived or thought they were like a false light right like we see history rhyme so maybe they were being deceived thinking they were following christ but they weren't following uh jehovah or there's also it seems to be conflation sometimes between like yahweh and elohim and so like is there perhaps uh, we got like a mix-up along the journey somehow it just to me 
it never really sat right. It does seem like Jesus and the way he operated was so different than some of the stories that are very cruel, you know. And I know we have a lot of sort of, uh, we do a lot of, I would say, spiritual gymnastics maybe to sort of try and uh, justify those things. But I think at the end of the day, it still doesn't quite resonate well with me. So do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, so imagine, uh, again, you're fully aware that you are in this nation or this organ, right? You are within it. You are a cell within it. And you have a certain power principality over you. And collectively, you call them the Elohim. And maybe you, you're in the, uh, like the spleen, kidney area. And maybe there's certain Elohim that you usually see because you live in that area, that those nations you live around. So you see them and you're like, oh, well, the Elohim said this. And then at other times when it says Yahweh, it's specific to that specific Elohim that, you know, uh, just Yahweh saying these things because these other ones are pretty much unnamed because that's how people and things of christ don't really want to be identified right well right and that's just how we do things that's how we start calling like these words are very generic in a sense um like so we call our our dad dad right like we don't usually call them by their first name and so i think we think that it's like the same thing like if that's god we call it god um so i guess my for me i think there is a potential for us to have sort of put all of these um, energies and these thoughts and these ideas behind the same entities when perhaps they were totally different entities. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like you were saying, like we were led astray because so like if I'm in the organ of the kidney, then I'm going to listen to the organ of the kidney in order to know how to function. Now, if the organ of the kidney gets cancer, you know, if this fallen angel falls and becomes cancerous and starts poisoning the organ by telling the cells to do these poisonous things, well, I'm still supposed to listen to this uh, organ. So I'm going to do what the organ's telling me to do, right? So that's the like, uh, whereas you're not going to follow Yahweh, but there is a thing where it's like, but Yahweh's the head of all these Elohim. So should we listen to Yahweh because we can understand Yahweh is different than these other Elohim. The, he doesn't have a specific organ that he's in control of. He's just kind of like supervising all the others and he's moving around and they can see this type of action. And then some of the humans are like, well, Yahweh saying this, the Elohim are saying this, but then it gets recorded to us where it says the Lord says this, and it looks contradictory. It's like, Wait, wait, wait a second. Then you got to look it up and you're like, this one means El, this one means Elohim, this one means Yahweh, this one means Jehovah. And I think Yahweh and Jehovah are pretty much interchangeable. Uh, it's just, you know, depending on the interpretation and translation. Uh, but as far as where it says El uh, or Elohim and Yahweh, they are two different people. Yahweh is the head of the Elohim. So when they're saying the Elohim, I believe, that some of the time that they are speaking collectively of the fallen are just being called the Elohim at that time. That, that 
that the Elohim are the right. angels. They are the fallen plus the non-fallen because they're in the non-fallen state exactly. uh, at that okay, time. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a and great then, way to stitch it together. Right, and that goes with Catholicism, then where, where a lot of conspiracy theorists will say, well, because Catholicism just took paganism and they replaced them. But it's actually like God... And Paul says this, and we talked about this recently in the last few Bible studies, where Paul's writing these letters and saying, we are going to judge the angels. And what ends up happening in Christ's millennial kingdom that's already happened is that those powers and principalities were taken out of place. These cancerous organs that were poisoning the body were then taken out of power, and they were replaced by the saints by Peter, by Paul, by the apostles, they were all put at the helm of these organs now. So it's not that Catholicism, which means universal, which is universally the uh, the religious and the state doctrine coming together that was the universal law for everybody who was alive during the millennial kingdom that's now been perverted because Satan perverts the truth the most. So that was the power structure of state uh, and religion. And then that got perverted. And now people say, oh, they just swapped it out, that Catholicism is just paganism, which now it is because it's been perverted the most. It's just paganism, you know, rebranded. But it's, no, there was actual events where people were witnessing in the clouds, these spirits were rounding up different other spirits and taking them out of power uh, the way that the Bible says, you'll see uh, God and 10,000 of his angels, uh, or you'll see Christ and 10,000 of his angels come return in the clouds. It's recorded in 70 AD as having happened by non-Jewish, non-Christian uh, Roman uh, historians, four of them, five of them actually. And you can look into that in itself. But what I'm getting at is that these uh, spirits can be seen, and they had uh, dominion over certain locations of the body of Christ. They became cancerous to the body of Christ, so then they had to be replaced completely. And then once that replacement happened, that was the millennial kingdom, because then no longer is the body being poisoned. Like, think of yourself, if you have if you're developing cancer within all your organs and then all of a sudden God just takes away all that cancer from you and now you're healed, then a thousand years is how long it lasted for until Satan was loose from the pit for, you know, whatever reason, this is how it's all occurred. And they were released from Tartarus and came back to earth and uh, created Tartaria. And they, destroyed the millennial kingdom and they created what we talk about in the conspiracy community as tartaria and they've just taken over everything and there's you know a ton of things that to get into that but it all wraps into one another and once you start seeing the dominoes uh once the scales are lifted from your eyes and you see these different pieces and you work your way back you can see how it all lines up and that it becomes a perfectly clear picture and it's completely different than what your modern mainstream Christianity will teach you 
that is built upon assumptions that were built on the backs of other assumptions when you know this is uh lines up with biblical uh aging with what period of time that we are in uh, as well as you know how old the earth is or humanity like everything fits into these different ideas they none of them contradict each other and they're all biblically backed so to kind of circle it around here uh we started talking about where the nephilim like ancient aliens essentially or were they like incarnate uh spirits into man right mm -hmm. okay so what um where do we get the difference in sort of species that we see right because it does seem like we have some evidence of shorter uh stature medium stature giants uh, or tall people to be specific um so how do you think we get that mix up if it was just a, like a spiritual thing because I think that there were more than like when we see humanity, we see us. But when I see uh, humanity back thousands of years ago, I see like uh, Lords of the Rings types of uh, different beings that were completely different. And they were different races, but not skin color the way we are. Like we are one race. We are the human race. And then there would be something like elves and orcs and, you know, whatever else there are. And that those specifically, like we are the Israelites, the humans that are here now, we are the Israelites. We're all part of the this line of Jacob or this line of Israel that has been passed along. And like, you have to really understand that Judaism is the line of Judah and the line of Benjamin. And then there's 10 other tribes that were then uh, lost to history. They stopped being accounted for because they didn't want to follow Solomon's son and they broke away. But because they didn't follow Solomon's son, God kind of like uh, cut them out, if you will, uh, and said that this is the chosen line because these are those who are going to follow the leader that I put in charge. And, you know, of course there's, They've been very corrupted, uh, and immediately they were corrupted. So it's not like just now that, that the line of Judah's, Judah and Benjamin are corrupted. But all the tribes are corrupted. But if you look at the consistent thread throughout the Bible is humans, what we are as humans, we have uh, taken out all the other races. We were supposed to take out all the other races, uh, all of the Gentiles, all the Canaanites, all of the Amorites, like there's all these different beings being described in the Bible that uh, humans are, that the Israelites, I'm sorry, are supposed to be killing off. Well, humanity is the Israelites. So the other beings were giving themselves over to being able to be manipulated, have their DNA man manipulated. When I was saying like the Egyptian gods being Nephilim as well, that they were these dog headed and bird-headed beings that it was a uh, dna manipulation to have them become biological mannequins that could then be inhabited because they were like creating these living species that weren't inhabited by any spirit so that they could then be born into them 
Right. So I think a, a modern way to look at it, an analogy might be, it's like if we were to create AI and we have these beings that almost seem sentient, but they're not, they're not, they don't have that divine spark within them. Therefore, they do not have that same, um, uh, like compassion and kindness and things of that nature. Um, so perhaps that's more of what we're dealing with. It's like literal, like robots. You could look at it as. Yep. And then transferring and, your consciousness into them. And that's what, you know, being downloaded into them. That's what the fallen angels essentially did with these biological mannequins. They, they made them so that they could be inserted. Their consciousness could be inserted into them instead of going into a woman and being born that way. They already had these ready-made bodies to just jump into. That's an interesting take. I think you need to be careful, right? Because it does start to get into an area where it almost seems like you're talking about like um, eugenics or something, right? Where you're trying to get like a specific race or something. Well, that's what they were doing for sure. The fallen angels, they were just creating things that weren't, that's like a Frankenstein essentially, you know, like a mix, mishmash of different uh, creatures that they were putting together so that they had their own bodies to then just be downloaded into. And then, so humans, all of humanity are Israelites and we are all God's children. And there isn't like black and white, yellow and red. That doesn't really, there is no difference in that. It's just like uh, essentially I mean, where we were created was like specifically for different areas, you know, and that's why we have these differences in physical features. But like we didn't all evolve from one skin color into other skin colors. We didn't evolve from monkeys and then lose the ability to grow arm hair when we get cold. But we're, we're said to be white people who would became white because of the snow and living in the cold but we didn't grow any arm hair or leg hair any more so than uh than any other race you know that that doesn't make sense that that would have happened but it would make sense that there were so many different races here uh and when i say race like uh, again it's like the lord of the rings types of eight ten whatever different types of beings here that we can look at in history that are called neanderthals are called dennis hovens they're called you know all these different types of uh of prehistoric yeah. humans yeah i agree but do you think that those were from originally god like when god made man he made all these different subsets are you saying those are derived from us experimenting with our uh, genetic code or something in the past maybe no, I think that they were somehow here. I think like they came from like the line of Cain somehow. Like there's, uh, there is something to uh, Cain finding a wife that was already existing here. Uh, you know that that it's not specifically said that Adam and Eve had daughters, but uh, a lot of Christians will just assume that Cain somehow married his sister that was living somewhere. But, you know, there's a lot of weird things that there were beings already here when God created Adam and Eve. So how they got here or, you know, what they were doing here, 
you know, that's beyond my understanding at this moment. But there were other creations here, and how they got here, I, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to understand where you saw it in the timeline. So it seems like you're suggesting that, per I mean, again, you don't know, we're theorizing, but your maybe current hypothesis is that they um, were existing at the same time as we get the story of Adam and Eve, essentially, in just like a different timeline, you could say, or in a different story, or we just don't have all the details of that. Is that kind of where you're getting at? Yeah, so if you look at like Neanderthals, like uh, they had a bigger brain capacity, they were bigger, stronger, faster. They have like all these physical attributes that there's no way we should have outlived them, but we did, right? Because we are God's children, and God tasked us with removing all of these other races, which is why they're always killing all these other beings that were here uh that talked you were talking about earlier that you know uh jesus possesses characteristics that the old testament uh god does not necessarily possess it's or seemingly so because god is tasking humanity with erasing these other uh races of people right so in order for that to happen and for humanity to be now the dominant species here, well, it's if humanity is the Israelites and we just kept obeying God's word and eliminating these other races, then that is how Israel, all of humanity is the Israelites that are offspring of Adam and Eve. See, I just don't know if I buy that because to me, the most impact we've ever seen in history has been through Jesus, in my opinion, and he was the example of how to self-sacrifice. And to me, that reverberated throughout Earth more than any sort of um, major killing has. And maybe that's ignorant to say, you know, I don't know. But to me, I don't know. They just don't they don't add up. And I think it's a very interesting topic. And I, I guess it gets dangerous to me because I don't like the idea of just going out and wiping people out. Like that just doesn't seem like the right way to go. If I'm worried about evolving my soul and my spirit to me, the way Jesus taught us, that doesn't, that doesn't resonate. It doesn't seem to match up. I don't know. Right. I agree. But there's also, you know, if there were giant species or if there were like these other species living at the same time as us and they were killing off us you know if they were attacking us coming after us in order to eliminate us and you know because uh, throughout the old testament they're always warring right there's always these wars that are happening and there's giants mentioned being amongst these other warring factions so like the, there is this part where they were warring and God was then allowing the Israelites to uh, expand their territory by taking out these other groups because they were enslaved. They, they were the enslaved race. And it always is in the Old Testament that they were the small, they were outnumbered and they were outsized and yet they still would win. And that is what we have done as a society. You can look at it and say, Humans are good at war. You know, that's what they do is they're fighting all these different times and places. And I think that it was right at when Christ returned. And so I think that uh, the 
uh, what's it called? The uh, Christian, um, when they went around slaughtering the name of Christ in like the 1200s. The Crusades? Yeah, the Crusades. When the Christian Crusades happened, I think that was earlier, like if you erase some time from there, and it was at the beginning of Christ's return that the Crusades weren't wiping out necessarily just other humans, but it eliminated every other race of people because if you look at like if we are the cells of god right and god had all these bacteria in him that were like causing uh, his body to be beaten and bruised and uh and hurting god's body then the cells were then fighting back, like the white blood cells were then taking out everything else. And that is the point, I believe, the Christian Crusades is when they just wiped out all of the other species. The reptilians were just, uh, and everything else were just completely wiped out. And that's what that uh, crusade was actually about, was freeing God's body from all the plagues and poisons that were within it. I think my interpretation is that all of these stories that we have of crusade-like behavior is actually Satan being a false light and spreading a false narrative of who Christ is. That's my take on it. But Well, I mean, it, it was definitely perverted and has been, and people will use that as a way of saying Christianity is no good, it's only created war and hate and evil. So that, that is, uh, Satan does use that. But I think it's just because of our understanding of things is very different. And uh, I mean, it, it's it's very clear in the Bible when it talks about like wiping out the entire uh, civilization that was there, like animals, men, women, children, like wipe it all out. And if we are understanding it, that it was a plague to God's body. And we are the cells that are meant to uh, wipe out this plague. Then we would have to, uh, you know, eliminate it all. So it, it's it is tough to understand it, and you know, it's maybe dehumanizing it by uh, looking at it in those terms. But on a grand scale, that really makes sense to me, and how God would justify. Uh, telling us to eliminate everything else yeah and i can understand that and it makes sense like i can see how you could interpret it that way that's just not how i feel about it and that's okay you know we don't need to agree on everything um but i think that for me again a, a great example of this is we have jesus christ and then jesus barabbas right like again Jesus Barabbas was more of that war mentality of like, we need to rebel and take out those who don't agree with our theology. And Jesus Christ was like, no, I'm going to show you how being self-sacrificing is, is the better way to go and can be more impactful. So that's, you know, that's just my testimony and what I've gathered from it. Right. And it did take God to become human in order to have that best, that message best relayed to us. Agree, uh, you yeah. know, 
So and I've always said that it could be right. Like, where was I when the world was formed? So it's like right. if we were to make a creation and we had things go wrong and we kept making edits and upgrades and software updates. I've said this. I think Jesus was sort of the the uh, up or the Holy Spirit was the upgrade, you know, the software update, and it's up to us if we want to accept it or not. Um, but that gives us that extra power, that extra connection with Christ. Right, uh, and it is that uh maybe that he had to become one of us in order to understand that how we necessarily feel about each other so like if you like i was saying if you dehumanize things uh, and this goes throughout history anytime that there has been uh, a mass mutilation or mass murders of any sort it's the dehumanization process you stop looking at each other as equal so maybe it, it did take yahweh to become one of us in order to see that there uh that the actions were like damaging to our psyche you know that that is war is P ptsd is a real thing that you know it, it leaves lasting uh marks that aren't good for us and like jesus uh, there is so much that uh, that goes into Jesus doing what he did. You know, he died for our sins, but he also knew before he entered us what was going to happen. He knew he would have to enter us and why he would have to, or not enter us, but enter into the world. He knew he would have to do it and why he would do it, have to do it. So like, it's almost like, this whole time he knew he messed up in his creation i don't want to say he messed up in his creation but there's i think can i real quick jump yeah. in here because i've been thinking a lot about this lately and and i look at it as there's like two points there's the beginning and the end and there's and this is god's perfect will and everything in between is god's permissible will it's what he allows to happen that creates variability it creates personalization it creates this very dynamic beautiful adventurous creative life that we have um and that's kind of how i've been looking at it right and so he knows that the beginning and the end is going to be perfect but it's a little bit messy in between when you look at cymatics and you have shapes on a plate and you have sand on it right when you're changing frequencies it's chaotic in between um it's like changing right and so there's always that that perfect point at the end and so that's i think how i like to look at it is like there's it's not that god messed up it's like it's part of the variability built into the system yeah yeah that's a good way of describing it but so what i was getting at was that like it was always gonna be this way you know he knew it was gonna be this way and that he would have to come in and fix it and do you think uh, he did though that's what i mean i think uh if you have like do you think that God would know everything or do you think it's po obviously it's possible, but do you think it's probable that God would maybe want to have some variability even to him? So it's like exciting, right? Like it, as we progress, we want more variability. Like we want dynamic shows that are creative, new stories. We don't want to watch the same story over and over and over again. Right. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that uh, that's, viable as well but there's also like if so if yahweh maybe he 
didn't know exactly, but L, you know, the sum total of the body knew what would then have to go on within the Russian nesting dolls. So like if L is the whole complete Russian nesting doll, the, the largest one on the outside, within that is Yahweh. And then within Yahweh is Jesus and, and us, right? Well, I guess Jesus and then we're within him or however you really want to word it. But like maybe Yahweh doesn't know what what's going on with L, but L already experienced it with Yahweh taking over, you know, and then maybe Yahweh is formed in that way. And then, you know, it's like this never ending, expanding and shrinking of creation and consciousness that is always happening. And and that somehow we forget or we don't know what's going to happen even though it is the same thing that happens on different scales and levels of consciousness and and what we call dimensions or densities, like, but it is the same thing that always happens. So like the outermost layer, you know, whatever the grand, most grand layer of God is, because we are also, you know, within God, we are part of God. So whatever the, the the largest version is already knows what the smaller version and then the smaller version, each version has to do along the way. And it is when we're here, like like I was saying, the Elohim are the sum total of God. Well, humanity is also the sum total of God. You know, it, so humanity has to figure it out just like the angels had to figure it out, just like, you know, whatever is above them, you know everything and everyone has to figure it out in their own unique ways. Yeah. I just wonder like when we, when we say all knowing God, like I think that, I think that still allows for God to create circumstances where he doesn't know exactly what's going to happen. If that makes sense. Like he has certain parameters that he can put in place. So he knows what's not going to happen essentially. But I think I and obviously I'm totally speculating like none of us know but it's just a feeling I have based on the fact that I think that I was created in God's image and I have that same desire for newness for creativity for all of these things and so it seems like us being given a choice is like part of that and so being able to see how we're acting and we probably hit certain bumpers and God's like, okay, whoa, 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 chill. Let's send in Jesus, get, show them the perfect example of our, of God's perfect will, and then see how they go from there. And then at the next time we might have to send in the adversary to help them get their spirits up because they're sinking. So, you know, does that make sense? Because the Bible, we were just talking in Bible study, I think, uh, right. Where we was talking about how that's essentially Satan's role, the adversary's role is to prepare your spirit for when jesus returns yeah to strengthen us and so on and so forth and so one last thing that i wanted to say about when christ came in uh like we have to remember and it's hard for us to uh think of it in these terms but we are granted the opportunity that everything that came before us like we're building on their backs like we're in this world right now that if it wasn't for our fathers and forefathers, you know, fathers, grandfathers and forefathers, that we wouldn't be able to have the comforts that we have. Like we have so many different comforts. So we also have to remember that like we are afforded the ability to care 
about how other groups are being treated like that we have things taking care in our own personal lives so much that we can then care about this group that is doesn't have anything to do with me but i care that they're treated in the same way you know like we have to also remember that our forefathers did a lot of things that we would not do today but they were trying to be they were trying to survive and they were trying to take care of their families to build the infrastructure that could then be built upon and so on and so forth so that we can be like yeah like i wouldn't do that but i can understand why it had to be done at totally. the time that it did and i've been thinking a lot about this lately uh, i think one of the biggest tactics the devil uses is to demonize people who weren't perfect because nobody is and they focus right. on the negativity when really they mm -hmm. were doing a lot of good things but they probably were misguided on a lot of things like we all are um, yeah. And so that's one thing I've been noticing as well. I think where it gets sticky for me is when it's talking about like God said to do this, right? Like I think we can even often misinterpret what God is saying because we are not, our temples are not at where they should be to resonate perfectly. So it's like a scattered message almost you could look at it as. Um, so, but I, yeah, I don't, we shouldn't judge anybody for their past mistakes and we should try to look at the good and assume positive intent when, when we're seeing things that maybe look awry. I like what you just said there, that we're, uh, interpreting that God said this, because if you look at the story of David, uh, two different points, he had the opportunity to kill Saul, but he didn't. And God gave him these opportunities to do so. And he chose not to do it. So he could have justified it in himself, like God put Saul in this position for me to kill him. And he wouldn't have done that if I weren't supposed to. But also, you have to look at the flip side. He didn't kill him. So this uh, leader who was mistreating people and misleading his people stayed in power longer because David chose not to kill him. So it does go like but God can use any situation so you could keep that on. And because of that, the right. adversary was allowed to help refine people in the fires and allow them to yeah. learn the lessons they needed to and grow. You know what I mean? So right. I, I think, again, it gets back to that interpretation of, exactly. first of all, who the God is that they're referencing, who was the God of that time, the specific names, but also the fruit behind that energy, behind that mm -hmm. entity. These are all sort of allegories. These are word formations that we have sort of given value to. And so it's important, I think, to understand the the fruit of these spirits and what they're saying. Right. Yeah, that, and that's what I was getting at. Is that you, you can look at it uh, from either perspective and be like, well, okay, so I'm in this situation. Am I listening to uh, Jesus Christ who is leading me to uh, to allow God to work things out? Or am I listening to the quote-unquote antichrist that is telling me that I need to be the savior of man, you know, that I need to be the one to take the action. Now, sometimes, and who's to say, I'm not, I shouldn't have necessarily said Jesus Christ versus the Antichrist. You know, there, there are obviously loaded names on either side of the spectrum or scale, but there may be times that we do things that we don't want to do that are, not what we would normally do, but 
at that moment in that time and space, they are more necessary for our survival, for our family survival, for the survival of our species or, or whatever. You know, there there is uncomfortable things that we may have to do because somebody has to protect uh, those who want to do us harm. You know, there has to be... It depends on your perspective, I think, or your your um, priorities. Because if you're prioritizing your spirit and your soul, then you're not as concerned about what happens here Correct. and if you get... Right? So, like, for me, I would rather not have the guilty conscience of killing somebody and just see what happens in the next life if that happens. Uh, that's just how I look at it. But I could see both perspectives. Right. But I, so I'll, uh, I'll play the devil's advocate there that if, if everybody did choose that route, you know, if all are okay, not everybody, because obviously we're talking about, uh, if there's two people, right. So two groups will say, and there's one group who chooses to do as you're saying, and then there's another group who's warring, who wants to dominate the other group. So if this whole group gets eliminated, then the whole earth is nothing but hell, right? So it would be nothing but war because there would be no one defending uh, the the rights uh, and the the life of all of the, those others. And maybe that's how you get stuck in hell is you keep that cycle going and you stay here, which is which Could turns be. into hell. Uh, yeah. So that's how I look at it. I think, you know, there's something that feels eternal about my soul. I've been sort of disconnected from the body. So I think there's more to it than just this. And so mm -hmm. I'm not going to let potential threats here cause me. But I get what you're saying, right? Because we are here at this moment. And so we want mm -hmm. to do the best we can for the people here in this moment. And so that's where it gets dicey, right? Right. Like if there was, uh, if we were in Germany, not uh, Nazi Germany, and we were, Jewish people and uh, they're all coming for us, you know, should we just all lay down and die and allow the evil regime just to live on and, and we do nothing about it. Like while we watch like our women and children just be slaughtered, you know? Yeah. It's a tough question for sure. Yeah. 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 So, uh, and you and I, we I love having you at the Bible study. Uh, I don't know if people, our listeners here today, are familiar with our Bible studies, but we have a great time on there. And we, it's not that we often take different perspectives on things, but we challenge each other, and it expands the conversation in a really good way. And so that's why I really enjoy uh, having conversations with you and bringing things to you that uh, aren't taught uh in your normal mainstream christianity you know when i have these ideas you know what no man would be good to bring it to because you're very knowledgeable on the bible and you're going to hold firm to your understandings but you know it's not going to be that you're going to say you're completely right and any other views are wrong but you're going to not just roll over and say okay yeah i'm going to take that like you're going to try to pick it apart and you're going to strengthen uh my understandings and either it's uh, i'm wrong on something or maybe i'm i have to then research and then my understandings become greater because now i'm looking more into it and i'm getting more background info you know thank you and likewise and i think that you bring up a lot of things that a lot of people have questions about and want to talk about and so i think it's important to dive into those 
those nuances when it becomes uh, when it comes up because there are so many different facets yeah. to, uh, to to all of this and that's what's so beautiful about life is I think there's this this un there's this there's this emptiness that we all have that I think is sort of intentional and that's what allows us to seek after and to do new things and so. Uh, first of all, I would say if anybody is feeling empty and first of all, I would try to transmute that and look at it that way of like, maybe that's just your opportunity to fill it with something. I have found that Jesus Christ is the best way to find fulfillment and to find an abundant life. Um, you said a lot of great things. This has been an awesome conversation. You brought up the Bible study. Would you mind just giving people a quick uh, summary on first of all, where they can find you and also get plugged into the Bible study if they want? Uh, yeah, so on my audio podcast, I've been releasing uh, the Bible study. It's about six months behind where we currently are. It's on my Patreon, which I may be doing away with the Patreon uh, in the near future. So uh, you'll have to, you know, check on that. But it, so at this point, it may just be on like my YouTube and audio uh, channel audio podcast which is Godcast the goodness over darkness podcast and YouTube is goodness over darkness and at this time I still do have the patreon which is goodness over darkness so patreon.com backslash goodness over darkness and you can uh, watch the Bible study you can listen back to it you can join in too if you send me an email or if you want to email nomad uh, I send out the link every single Sunday it's the same link but I just send it out as a basic reminder for people like hey we're we're doing it. It's 8 p.m. on Sundays. Uh, we've gone through all the Gospels. We've gotten through uh, several books. Uh, you know, I don't remember them off the top of my head, the order of them, but we're in 1 Corinthians. We're going to finish that up tomorrow night. So at the time of this recording, tomorrow night, we're going to finish up 1 Corinthians, which I guess we'll go right into 2 Corinthians after that, right? So uh, we're going to finish up the New Testament, and then we're going to go over the Old Testament. I don't know exactly if we're going to go in order of everything but we do four chapters a a week every sunday night 8 p.m eastern we do four chapters and it's a great conversation i have my niv version we have uh, nomad has his ylt version young's literal translation uh mimi my girlfriend she's not here at the moment but uh, she has her king james version as well as uh, a new believers version or I forget exactly what it's called, but something to that effect. We have, you know, different people coming in. Uh, like we have Bible Scribe pop on one time. He has a great channel. If you're not familiar with him on YouTube, uh, he's on Bible Scribe. And we have Paul, who's a regular. He's a Patreon member. He's a friend. He does some uh, great stuff on there. We have Christian. Uh, you know, there's all these different people uh, who come out and are regulars on the Bible study and really contribute to what we're reading and how we're reading it and the discussion and it really goes well uh what what's your take on the bible study i was also gonna say shouts out was it debbie and claire yeah debbie and claire angie angie yes thank you all with i always appreciate seeing you all and anytime you make uh suggestions or comments it's much appreciated 
And yeah, it's been great. I love that we all have our different takes. We have people in different areas who have different perspectives and we bring out the different translations and really dive into it and ask the questions that people maybe aren't usually comfortable asking, you know, in, in normal Bible studies or in normal churches. Um, so it's really just a fun environment and I encourage everyone to check it out. Reach out to Emmanuel or myself and we'll get you hooked up. Um, this has been great. Thank you so oh, much. I Thank did you, want to everyone. say, oh yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I wanted to say one more thing about the Bible study, which is really cool that we use different versions is because, uh, like one point in, uh, the book of Acts, we were talking about like, uh, I think my version said like the Roman God. And then like Mimi said like the Greek God. And then you said something else. And it was like, oh, they're talking about, you know, it's the same person, you know, that's Jupiter, it's Zeus, it's whatever it said in there, you know, it was every version said something slightly different. And it was super cool that, like, we all learned that right in that moment, because we're all using different versions. Yeah, that's a great example of like how the Bible has that historicity. And even though we have all these different translations, they're oftentimes essentially saying the same thing, just we have different words depending on the culture in which they were being written. Um, so it ends up being what some people would originally look at as like a contradiction. It actually becomes a confirmation. Uh, and so, yeah, we're able to see little things like that when we're all working together. So it's beautiful. Thank you for pointing that out. Uh, is there yeah. anything else before we end? No, no, that's all. Take it away, my friend. Awesome. Well, thank you everyone for watching and listening. We love you all and we will see you in the next one. Peace. Peace.